Uh, hello, everyone. Welcome to the Carolina Weather Group. This is the Wednesday, May 16th, 2018 edition of our little weather get-together. Tonight, we're going to be talking about disaster preparedness with meteorologist and disaster preparedness expert, Cheryl Nelson. Uh, she'll be joining us here in just a little bit. She's running behind, but um, she has emailed us and told us that she is coming. So uh, she'll be with us here in just a little bit. So uh, before she jumps on, Let's go over a review of our housekeeping uh, items. If you are watching tonight, uh, we'd love to see your interaction with us. You can uh, do that one of many ways. Uh, we have Facebook Live going, our Periscope stream, uh, also our YouTube stream. And uh, as always, you can interact with us on Twitter at Carolina WX Group. And if you're listening to the podcast or the uh, broadcast later on, um, you can interact with our guest, Cheryl. Uh, we'll let her send out her... Uh, social media account uh, towards the end of our show. That way you can ask your disaster preparedness questions to Cheryl as uh, as we finish up the show. But guys, it's uh, been a very busy week in the weather world, not necessarily here in the Southeast, but all around the uh, country. Uh, it, it's been pretty crazy with, with storms and flooding. So uh, the person who I guess has been the most affected by this, Peter, we were joking before the show started, you guys in the uh, Northeast have seen more moderate risk of severe weather than uh, the Southeast and even the Southern Plains. So um, how are things in New Jersey? I I'm glad to see you're still there and you didn't get blown away or hit by massive hailstones. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're doing okay here in South Jersey. We didn't get it too bad the uh, entire week, but I think I jinxed it because last week I was complaining how bad the pollen was and we haven't had a good downpour in a while. Well, I surely jinxed that because we had nothing but downpours the whole week. Uh, Thursday, we had severe weather. Then Saturday morning, we had thunderstorms. Saturday night, we had a tornado watch. Uh, and the last time we had a tornado watch before Saturday was two years ago. So it really doesn't happen that often around here, but uh, it does occasionally. But uh, usually a bust, and Saturday night it busted. Not even one warning was issued. So I guess that's a good thing because uh, nothing got damaged or anything. Uh, and then last night, Another strong uh, squall line came in. Uh, Pennsylvania and New York State had some uh, damage uh, from those severe storms, and there was a moderate risk, like Scotty said. But uh, South Jersey escaped it. We had just a lot of lightning uh, from about 7 to midnight last night. It just wouldn't stop. And uh, now looking ahead, we're just going to be pouring rain from tonight all the way through maybe Saturday or Sunday. So, uh, yeah, I guess there's not going to be any more pollen after this, so I guess we shouldn't complain. But... Uh, tweet of the week coming up at the end of the show. I'll show you some pictures that I took last night, some crazy looking clouds and lightning bolts and all that good stuff. So stay tuned. Scotty, back to you. Yep. Peter, you, um, you also, uh, have yes, I forgot. I forgot. So you had, you had a, a weather, um, weather generated tsunami, which we call meteor tsunami that occurred up that way. Um, it, you know, I'm not sure what the exact footage was or what the follow up. I haven't followed up today on, on some of the readings that, that came up. But uh, that's a pretty unique event to happen in New Jersey. Usually we see that in the Great Lakes, across Lake Michigan uh, and down in southern parts of Florida is where we see most of the media tsunami activity. But off the New Jersey coast, that's pretty impressive to have a storm that size and, and magnitude to, to force that much water into the shore. Pretty neat. I forgot yeah. to I forgot yeah, to unmute myself. <laughs> I forgot to unmute myself. Well, thank you uh, for that, Peter. And we're glad to see that you guys did survive up there. Hopefully, uh, it calms down for you. Uh, another interesting thing that's happened over the weekend and the first part of this week, Shay. I think you've been tracking that. 
Uh, it's never too early to talk about the tropics and all this heavy rain that the uh, that the southeast is seeing over the last few days is kind of associated with the tropics. That's right, Scotty. Yeah, a Gulf low. Uh, we had uh, a little surface low blend in with an upper low right along the northeast Gulf of Mexico. And uh, the area is still just off the coastline. It's very broad and disorganized. It has more of a dry core, but it is bringing with the Bermuda high to the east out over the Atlantic and this low in the Gulf. It's drawing up a lot of moisture from the south in the Gulf, the Caribbean, the Bahamas, all the way up into the southeast region. So parts of Florida and the southeast are getting doused, which is really good for these areas because we're under moderate to severe drought in, some, in, in a lot of areas in the southeast. So it's really helping a lot with some additional rainfalls. Uh, some pretty big thunderstorms rolling through, but they're on the move, so they're not slow movers. Uh, but uh, we're we're just um, you know trying to enjoy the rain while we while we get it because we're deficient right now. Uh, Charleston, for the most part, boy, we've gotten missed pretty bad. Um, you know, we we thought we'd have more rain than this in a two-day stretch because we forecasted it every day this week up to near five inches, and we haven't seen but a trace in most parts of Charleston. So Jared might be able to shed some more light on that. But it's been hot and humid here, man. The mosquitoes are coming out. They're dragging people away into the woods, Scotty. They're not, no longer found anywhere. They're gone. So our state bird has come out officially after the gnats. All right, Jared, do you? Yeah, we're, uh, we're we're really missing out on this rain thing. Everyone's uh, teasing me and taunting me. And uh, here's the uh, digital storm total rainfall uh, estimate from the uh, KCLX Doppler, Super Doppler Mega 9000 <laughs> NWS radar down in um, Jasper County, South Carolina. Some lucky folks getting, uh, you know, estimates of, uh, you know, one, maybe one and a half inches all the way over in Georgia. But this isn't the Georgia weather group. This is the Carolina weather group. Here's Charleston. Eh, shut out completely. We've, we, we've gotten maybe one to two tenths of an inch in the last 24 hours. The QPF that was expected was closer to one to two inches by now. And WPC has been revising that QPF back and is like, oh, and, and so, um, you know, yeah, Peter says, cue the prices right horn in our uh, internal chat here. We have a little chat room where we talk amongst ourselves. And yes, that's exactly right. We are, we are, we are going home without a consolation prize, but I'm going to take this back to reflectivity for a second. And while we're talking about that, there is hope my friends, because there is this nice little, uh, rain shield that is very slowly advancing North. So maybe we're not completely. Don't say that, Jared. The, the, the her, the the HRR three kilometer this morning showed it, and it fizzled out right when it got to Charleston. So don't tease us again now. <sighs> it it's just wish casting at this point. We need it. Like I have like I have people literally asking me, and it's like, why? You know, it's like why do I have to feed my plants right now? It feels terrible outside, and it's like, it it just doesn't want just it just just my kingdom for a, li a lifting mechanism of some type of some reliability at this point. So when convective right. temperatures are just not enough back to you, Scott, well, real quick sky. Uh, I know the viewers might, might want to know this, this area of low pressure down in the Gulf as of eight Oh five AM this morning has a uh, near 0% chance of development. So it's, it doesn't look like this one is going to happen. So if you're concerned about a tropical system occurring uh, in the Gulf and lifting up this way. It's not going to happen. We're just going to get moisture from it, continue to for the next few days as it slowly drifts to the north up into the southeast and broadens out. So that's about it for us. All right. Thank you for that report, Jared and Shay. Uh, I would love to have your rain bubble up here in the Charlotte area this weekend as I'll be covering the uh, NASCAR races and trying to keep the weather and lightning and 
rain away from it uh, here in North Carolina. And I, I know James is with us tonight. I, I don't know if he can hear us right now. I know uh, he's running our stream and also attending to baby. Uh, but uh, James, if you can hear us, it's been quite a, a rainy day or past couple of rainy days here in the, uh, the North Carolina area. That's right, Scotty, and I can hear you, and hopefully you can hear me as I try to remember uh, how all these uh, buttons work. But you're right, we did have some scattered storms uh, on and off. You could hear lightning and thunder. You could hear the thunder, see the lightning. That is the sleep deprivation speaking right there. But uh, we do still have rain moving across North Carolina at this hour. I uh, wanted to let those viewers know, uh, and uh, if you're in the Raleigh area, you're beginning to see more of the rain. Uh, and as Scotty mentioned, we did see a lot of that rain pushing through uh, the Charlotte area and uh, the foothills earlier. Right now, it uh, looks fairly quiet at the campus of uh, NC State, but I wouldn't be surprised if you see a brief shower, maybe a rumble of thunder. And as we reminded everyone on social media, earlier today if you can hear thunder you're close enough to be struck by lightning so keep that in mind and be safe as you're out and about tonight scotty yes that is true and that's something we'll be talking about here in just a little bit with our guest cheryl i will say um we have a few of our panelists off tonight ashley is uh celebrating her birthday and also i think she's at the uh state em dinner in texas so uh, we want to wish ashley a happy birthday and hope that she enjoys her outing tonight we also want to uh Send our well wishes to Jordan. He's feeling a little under the weather. And Eric is off on assignment at a barbecue festival covering the weather. So I don't know how much better you can get uh, doing that gig. But uh, Eric's also not with us tonight. And Ricky's back home uh, visiting with his family. Actually, where Cheryl's at there in the uh, in the Norfolk area. So uh, we uh, wish Ricky a, a good weekend. I know he's been busy with covering double shifts as his uh, weather team is looking for a, a fourth meteorologist. So uh, that is where the rest of our panelists are tonight. So let's bring in our guest tonight. We have Cheryl Nelson with us. She is a meteorologist and a disaster uh, preparedness uh, uh, spokesperson, I would say, because Cheryl, you you do a little bit of everything. Uh, welcome back to the Carolina Weather Group. We're always uh, happy to have you here with us. Hey, guys. Happy to be here. Thanks so much for having me. And yeah, I definitely wear a lot of hats, but I like it that way. I, I keep it busy. <laughs> That that's a good thing, and Cheryl, as as Shay was alluding to just a little bit ago, uh, we had a little bit of activity in the tropics, and uh, as we get it ready to uh, move into hurricane season, it's now time for everyone to start looking for their uh, disaster pre preparation plans. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I always tell people because they say, "Oh, it's not going to happen to me," and I go, "Okay, you know, look at Irma last year, look at Maria, look at Harvey," and people they don't really walk the walk. I mean, they talk the talk, but then when you ask them, hey, do you have a disaster preparedness kit both at home and in your vehicle? It's funny, I'll go and I'll speak and only about 25% of the people in the room will raise their hands. Everybody else is kind of looking around going, oh no, I didn't think of having one in my car. And then when you ask them what they have in it, they really don't have much. They say flashlight and batteries and maybe some water. But beyond that, when it comes to the more important things, they don't have that done. And it's really scary. It really is, Cheryl. And, and let's bring in, because uh, um, Jared and Shay, they both live on the coastal areas. And last year, 2017, was um, the first active tropical season that we saw in quite some time with, with landfalling major hurricanes headed to uh, the United States, specifically the southeast coast. What has your interaction been since we've had Irma and Harvey? Uh, are folks, ha has that really captured their attention or are they still kind of blowing this thing off? I think they're 
you know, we're still sort of um, gauging Hurricane Matthew when it came by. So, you know, folks got a little taste of it there. Um, not a full blown taste like Florida did. Uh, you know, they got they got hammered pretty hard along the western side of that storm. Uh, but we had a lot of tropical activity that one year here, you know, for South Carolina, we had like, what, four tropical storms or something they had to create a, a high resolution window in the NHC just for us, where so many tropical systems passed over. They were very weak and there. But they, the main thing was the rain that it caused and even Irma, the flooding. So people are starting to grasp the idea that, man, we're living in an area that is where sea level rise is occurring and these floods are becoming more and more um of a normal thing so it doesn't take very much for us so folks are really starting to sort of come to terms with that so the coastal resiliency efforts are up DHEC is involved there's a multi-state uh sort of a coalition that is is heading up coastal resiliency and uh, there's a lot of efforts going on with the weather service offices up and down the coast and, and uh, mayors townships governors they're all starting to embrace the idea that we are more prone to having damages from flooding than anything else here so I don't know, Jared. Do you have anything to um, to add from your perspective? You're you're sitting in on something pretty unique with with coastal waters and hydrology, aren't you? Mm-hmm, I sure am. Yeah. So I'm I'm sitting on a committee. Uh, can't talk too much about it right now, but uh, we're expect some announcements in the next few weeks uh, as we uh, roll this out. But um, but it's projects around coastal resiliency. And 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 again, uh, last year we did uh, an event. Um, uh, it, it kind of a fusion of the sciences and the arts. And uh, it was really fascinating because you know everybody is really you know everybody's really tuned in. They know that sunny day flooding is a thing. King tides. In fact, as as we're talking, a coastal flood advisory has just been issued from nine to eleven tonight for six point nine to seven point two foot mean lower low water. So a little bit of salt water flooding possible tonight. We've not gotten the rain, but we're definitely going to probably see a little bit of salt water. So um, people are getting used to the idea of the tide being high and and it just flooding the roads. Um, so we're seeing a lot more awareness around that. And, and we're seeing, you know, we're seeing some challenges around, you know, people still driving through these things because they think they understand how it works. I think that's the thing that, you know, Shay and I are, are, are most uh, concerned about in particular is people driving through floodwaters. It's still a thing. Um, you're never going to get 100% of it, but there shouldn't be as much of it as there is. And so, um, yeah, Matthew and Irma in particular showed people that, and, and even 2015, you know, with Joaquin well offshore, but we still had, we were still setting title records even with that, you know, terrible onshore fetch. And so uh, people are really starting to understand that, you know, these storms, whether, you know, whether they're brushing us with the eyewall 20 miles off the coast or making landfall 400 miles away or even just passing off to the, to the you know, to our uh, east. For you know, 400 miles away, um, that you know, these things do have uh, far reaching effects. Um, and battling the cone perception, too, is another thing that I think, um, is something that I hope people are realizing is like, you know, maybe we shouldn't be looking at that so much, we need to be looking at impacts. That's a great point, and Cheryl. I know that um, part of your job is to go out and do a lot of outreach with folks that live along the coastal areas. Um, what ha- what has their perspective been since the active season last year? It's you know it's kind of sad because I think people around here in the Norfolk Virginia Beach area they think that we don't get bad tropical systems because we haven't had one in a very long time. I think something that a lot of people think about is Isabel back in what was that was that two thousand three or was it one? What year was that? 
I believe it was 2003. Um, Shay, do you know? I know you work a little bit more at the tropics than I do. It's either 2003 or 2001. But anyway, regardless, um, that was the last time we had a really bad storm here. And since then, I asked somebody down in Virginia Beach. He has a hotel restaurant on the oceanfront right there on the Atlantic. And I said, hey, out of curiosity, what's your disaster preparedness plan? Do you have a plan to board up your windows or what would you do to protect your property? And he goes, oh, this is Virginia Beach. Anytime anything gets here, it's only a tropical storm. And I'm not concerned about that. And I wanted to just kind of go, are you kidding me? And I mean, what about the 100 year storm? I mean, look at what happened in Houston with Harvey and these people, they just they think that because we're not in Florida, or we're not on the Gulf Coast, or because we're not in the Outer Banks that you know, juts out, that we're not going to get a direct hit. And because of that, we don't have to worry. I don't think they understand what happens. Yeah, we might not get a direct hit, but if it comes in at a certain angle, all that tidal flooding here, it's going to bring all the water from the Chesapeake Bay right into Norfolk. And these are things that people don't think about. That's, that's a good point because you know, in, in the grand scheme of things, um, maybe besides Maria, wind doesn't really create the deaths. It's the water that you have Absolutely. to contend with in, in tropical systems. I uh, like Jerry was saying, the flooding and the storm surge. So uh, what about the folks in Florida? Have you been able to visit Florida, Texas since um, Irma and, and Maria and, and Harvey? Uh, what are their thoughts? Like, I, I'm sure maybe they're a little bit more on the, uh, on the urge to being prepared. Yeah, I was actually just in Tampa in Lakeland last week at the Hurricane Awareness Tour stop in Lakeland. So it was pretty cool to be there. And they had a lot of people at that stop. So many people were filing in. I've never seen such a long line of people waiting to tour the Hurricane Hunter planes and coming in to get information. And I asked them, you know, why are you here this year? And they said, well, last year with all the activity in Irma, you know, we got to be prepared. So it's interesting to hear that because it's fresh in the mind, that was a wake-up call for them. So they are going to prepare this year. But I wonder if we have a quiet season, are they going to have that same mentality next year? So it's a lot of human psychology. Yeah, the social science stuff is, is amazing. And that kind of brings me to this next question, Cheryl. Uh, there has been a lot of emphasis on the cone of uncertainty and mm -hmm. how folks maybe uh, how we in the weather community know that we don't need to look at that cone because that middle line isn't directly where that hurricane's going. But a lot of folks see that on TV or social media and they kind of focus in on that. Um, as the weather enterprise tries to get the word out about being a, paying attention to the entire cone, how do you think that's being perceived right now with the folks that you've spoke with? I think that people are, I think they understand what it means. I think meteorologists have done a better I guess, way of explaining that, like, hey, guys, it could go anywhere within this cone. But what bothers me is what happened with Irma. So my friends who live in Tampa, they have another house in Orlando. And so because it looked like Tampa was going to get the direct hit from Irma, they evacuated their Tampa house and went to Orlando. What's sad is their Orlando house took the big hit and they lost power in Orlando and their Tampa house was fine. Didn't lose any power there. So I think people are a little irritated because they're going, well, I followed the forecast and everything changed at the last minute. So I'm a little concerned that if that were to happen again, 
they might not take it seriously and they might not evacuate when they really should because they'll go, well, last time it changed. That, also, that, you have to factor in the transportational issues and logistics mm -hmm. of getting out of evacuating, period. I mean, you, you're evacuating the entire lower half of Florida uh, up the interstates. So true. Georgia and, you know, hotel rooms filled up all the way into the mountains. I mean, folks just they got uh, their first evacuation in over 10 years. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, it, except for Matthew, I do apologize. What Matthew did, but that was only for the eastern half of Florida for the most part. Um, but a full-blown evacuation all the way from the keys up um what did you gain what have you gauged from that going forward like how do people feel like are they do you think they're going to stay next time because they don't want to deal with all the traffic and you know i mean development has blown up a lot more people yeah. live down there now than past storms so that's that's another issue right there as well I know, you know, personally, I think from being down there and talking to people, I feel that more people are going to be prepared in their residence, in their home. They're going to have more supplies. And I think that maybe less people will evacuate just because of the uncertainty of the track and where is it going to go and how long will it take to get home? And one of the things that I'm really promoting now, I'm actually the national spokesperson and weather and preparedness advisor for Cummins Generators. And that's one thing that I think a lot of people, if they have the means, they should invest in it. I mean, whether it be a portable one, which is okay, but not ideal, because the standby generators actually hook up to your home, to your natural gas line or your propane tank, and they turn on the second power goes off automatically and they stay on for the duration of your outage. And you don't have to worry about gasoline and extension cords or anything like that. So they're the safest generator to have. And you look at places like Puerto Rico, I mean, gosh, where what, 75% of the island or 90%, whatever it was, lost power. And I'm going, oh my goodness, I, I just wish that we had generators all over the place for some of these people. And so whether it be a portable or a standby, whatever you have the means for, I'm just encouraging people, what is your method of backup power, especially if somebody has medical issues and they're dependent on oxygen? Um, you know, what are you going to do? Or animal shelters, for example, too. I mean, they can't go without air conditioning with all those pets in there. And then you look at hospitals and nursing homes, and I'm sure the hospitals have generators, but what about the nursing homes and assisted living facilities? I and mean, there's so many places if they can't evacuate, do they have the means to keep the lights on, to keep the air conditioning on? And I think that's where a lot of people end up losing their lives, too, is after the storm. How is law enforcement responding to this sort of mentality? I mean, if if folks are more inclined to stay during a storm and things go wrong, they're going to they're going to say out, you know, up front, we may not have the resources to help you out if you decide to stay during, you know, I mean, category four and five hurricane. You won't find much help during the storm or even right after the storm. So how are folks supposed to deal with that? I mean, what, what's the sort of the going forward? How are we supposed to uh, convey that message where it's it's very serious? Like, you know, they're not going to leave no matter what you say because they don't either A, trust the forecast or B, don't want to, you know, again, sit in the traffic or deal with the logistics of leaving. Right. And there are always going to be people like that. And unfortunately, we can tell them as much as we want. The Weather Service can put in their discussions evacuate now your life is at risk uh, there will be fatalities you know like we've seen before in, in so many hurricanes and storms but human nature i mean they're going to do what what they want to do if they feel if they're going to be okay oh i don't trust it then we can't drag them out of the house 
And all we can do is be 100% clear is, look, you got to fend for yourself. Talk to your neighbors, have a plan, figure out what you're going to do. And the scary part about it is a lot of the times, as you all know, people try to evacuate when they see the water rising and they're going, oh, no, I better get out of here. And that's when you see cars swept away and all these other horrible things happening because they don't leave until they see horrible things starting to happen. And some people just have blinders on. That That's very true. Um, I can say uh, I was down in uh, eastern North Carolina during Hurricane Matthew and, and all the catastrophic flooding that took place there. A lot of people, you know, they would drive through those flooded roadways or they would wait till it was, it was too late to honestly to evacuate. So uh, it's still getting that, that message across to those folks. Um, we had a viewer question here, uh, Craig CC, uh, one of our uh, loyal followers. He wanted to ask you, Cheryl, uh, does bringing up past storms help make people prepared? Um, there have been strong hurricanes before in the much higher latitudes, um, the mid, mid Atlantic and Northeast areas. So, uh, he wanted to pose that question to you. To you, do you think uh, uh, previous storms uh, have any impact on, on how people prepare for upcoming storms? Great question. And I would say, if that past storm hit that specific area where that person is, absolutely. Because here in the Norfolk area, if I mention Isabel, and thanks, guys, I see it's two thousand three. Um, people just they get goosebumps and they start shivering because it brings back those horrible memories that they can't forget. And they remember the power was out for two weeks and they had trees down on the house. And so if you bring up a storm that they lived through, absolutely. However, if you bring up a storm that maybe did not affect them and it affected other people, I don't think it's going to do anything because they're going to say, oh, that happened elsewhere. That doesn't happen to us. You know, Cheryl, and, and something interesting about that, too, is that, you know, we're facing in Charleston now communication challenges because our last major hurricane hit was 1989, Hurricane mm -hmm. Hugo. Most of the people here at this point either didn't live in Charleston right. or weren't even born. There is no frame of reference for this now. And I mean, at least Isabel, that was 2003. At least, you know, you have a fighting chance of, you know, adults have a fighting chance of remembering <laughs> that um, here. Like, you know, you got. We've got, we've got people who, you know, come here for college and they stay here and they have, they have no clue. They have, they have no clue what it's like. Yeah. And yeah. that's the worst part about it. It's such a low lying area too. And they don't even know how to prepare or what to do. It's like when somebody from the East coast moves out to the West coast and they know nothing about earthquakes and they don't know what to do if an earthquake happens. I mean, it's like a fish out of water. Yeah. Matthew was um, kind of a trial run for evacuations. Um, Maria, uh, we, I'm sorry, Irma, um, there was also some sort of pre-evacuation, but, but Matthew was really the one that our governor started the process about four days ahead of time because we had time and uh, she didn't want to um, sort of toy around with the idea of waiting till the last minute and then you have a nightmare in your hands. Uh, so I think it was done pretty well. She got, she got a lot of criticism for beginning that evacuation process early, but in order to knock the wheels, knock, I'm sorry, knock the rust off of the wheels and get everything going along because there's so many components that folks don't understand that goes into evacuations. Uh, you have to get started days ahead of when you really announce that you're going to do it um, and, and get everything into place correctly because, you know, between the DOT, 
and everyone else involved, all the cities and counties, the police, uh, everyone involved. It, it is really, really tough, you know. And when you get widespread these these giant evacuations, like with Harvey and uh, Florida, and and even you know for the east southeast region with Matthew, it was uh, it was it was an eye opener for a lot of folks on how many people are living along the coastline now. Yeah, there are so many people moving to the coastline. I mean, because I'll admit it too, I would love to live on the water because most of the time you're going to be fine. But then when that storm comes and everything is lost and you go, oh my goodness. And it's interesting what you mentioned about the evacuations too, because in Hampton Roads, if we were to evacuate, I don't know if they do this where you are, they have a, a policy where they would do a lane reversal on Interstate 64 and make all the lanes going out of town toward Richmond. Nobody could head down toward the beach. And I cannot even imagine what that would be like if we had to activate that. Uh, I just, I can just see people sitting there running out of gas. And I mean, that's, that's a big issue that you're going to have in any evacuation. Everybody hitting the road at the same time, because nobody ever wants to leave at the first call to evacuate. They want to wait it out and see if the forecast is going to change. And then everybody decides to go the last second. Cheryl, um, I want to get, uh, I know we're talking about hurricanes. I want to get to a few other things and then kind of talk about what um, folks need to do to be prepared for all of these natural disasters. One other thing that uh, we kind of talked about uh, at the beginning of the show with Peter and stuff is uh, we're in the middle of severe weather season as well. Uh, it's, it's been a quiet year so far in the Southern Plains, but other places like the Northeast, uh, the Ohio Valley area has seen a lot of severe weather. Uh, what is your what is your take? What is your your consensus from folks uh, being prepared for severe weather, severe thunderstorms? I know uh, Patrick Marsh earlier today tweeted out a tweet that he wished folks took severe thunderstorm warnings, just a serious tornado warnings, because uh, if I'm not mistaken, Peter, you, you may know this better than me, but I feel like a few folks actually lost their lives yesterday with, with trees falling on cars and homes and stuff uh, because of severe thunderstorm warnings weren't really taken serious. So what is your, what is your thoughts on that? What, how are, how are talks with folks that you interact with, with uh, people being prepared for severe thunderstorm warnings versus tornado warnings? A very good point because exactly what you said, severe thunderstorm warning, nobody does anything. Nobody cares. Oh, it's not a tornado. I mean, they, it's almost like they don't realize something bad could happen because we get thunderstorms all the time and nothing's ever happened. A tree's never fallen on my house or my car and everybody just goes on with their business. And meanwhile, when I have a severe thunderstorm warning, I round up, you know, my husband and my cats and we go to our safe room just in case, because guess what? There's trees all around the house. Um, how do you get somebody to take that seriously? I mean, all you can do is is keep getting the word out. And I think when these things happen, like trees falling on cars, as horrible as it is, I think it we have to put that out there to say, hey, guys, look, this happened during a severe thunderstorm warning and and see if that makes an impact. And with tornado warnings, I, I feel, OK, they take them more seriously. But at the same time, the boy who cried wolf, how many times do you have a tornado warning where nothing happens? And so. People are going to go about their business milling around in the store. And I've seen it happen. I've seen warnings go off on phones and people be, being shopping at Target. And nobody does anything. I, I mean, meanwhile, I'm looking for the bathroom or somewhere I can go and hide. And nobody else cares. 
again, human psychology. I just want to like, what do you have to do to get through to them? Well, at least at least we can take some comfort in knowing that there's only been um, two lightning fatalities this year. The last one uh, in Florida. Florida usually leads mm-hmm. in lightning fatalities every year. Uh, last year was an all-time low. But um, you know, what about what about the safety on lightning, Cheryl? Do you have uh, anything to to add to? I mean, these stats are are not bad considering right. we're already almost through May or halfway through May. Yeah. And with lightning, I think the biggest thing is obviously people on the golf course or you have kids out on the ball field or people out on a boat. And the boating thing scares me the most, because if you're out there on the water and these fast developing thunderstorms pop up, I mean, what if you can't get to shore in time? So I always encourage people to have one of those portable weather radios with them on the boat if they have to go out. And another thing that's always been a concern of mine is when you have kids out on the ball field and they're out practicing or they're playing a game and you you hear thunder in the distance and you might see some distant lightning, yet they're not pulled off the field. And as we know, I mean, it could strike from 10 miles away. So I think that's something that we need to be better at with getting the awareness out and say, hey, guys, look, this isn't just me being a scaredy cat and telling everybody to get off the field the lightning could strike you and you need to get in. Um, But that's where we have to reach out to coaches and to schools and do a better job at communicating that. I was, I'll say this, Shay, you may have heard this um, just a few days ago. There was a teacher that was struck by lightning in Lancaster County, South Carolina. Uh, They were on a field trip and um, they heard thunder off in the distance and uh, they were continuing on with their activities and and Mm. one of the teachers got struck. So that is something uh, like you said, Cheryl, talking to the schools, to coaches, uh, I even know with baseball, Major League Baseball, you know, once that game started, that is up to the umpire to to uh, call the game or postpone right. it or, or, or suspend it. And the, they, you know, we see every year numerous pictures of lightning all around baseball yes. stadiums full of people. And, and so that is something that I wish folks w- would kind of grasp and understand that lightning is – it's definitely something you don't want to mess with because it, it causes so many injuries and even death to people. Yeah. And, and we shouldn't feel like wusses if we run inside and don't want to stand outside because I was always made to feel like that. When Back when I played softball as a teenager, I would say, guys, we really need to get inside. And they'd say, oh, Cheryl, stop being a baby. And I'm going, no, <laughs> mother nature, I'm not being a baby. I'm being smart. Yeah. You don't want to tempt Mother Nature, that's for sure. Right. Um, one other thing I want to talk about has kind of been in the news a lot lately, uh, disaster-wise. Maybe not, it's not totally connected to weather, but earthquakes, volcanoes, uh, we, we've seen a lot of that going on. So, uh, Cheryl, I know you was actually on one of the, the talk shows recently talking about earthquake safety. And mm-hmm. Those folks, uh, we're going to be having an earthquake expert on um, in the month of June to kind of talk oh, about this. So, cool. Uh, we do experience them here on the East Coast, as right. you know, they're in the Washington, D.C. area a few yep. years back. So what do you tell folks about earthquake safety? What, what should they do or if they encounter one? I tell them stop, drop and hold on. And I'd say don't run outside because that is the, the first thing for some reason people want to do when everything starts shaking. They want to run outside. And I'm going, no, because there are so many things that could fall off the building, trees, branches, you got to get down where you are, get under something sturdy, like a desk or a table and hold on and then cover your head. 
um, that's the best thing you can do and wait until the shaking stops. If there's nothing to get under, maybe stand in a door frame or something more secure, but you definitely don't just want to be do to do to do hanging out. Um, you want to try to protect yourself as much as you can. Definitely. So that's, uh, that's, that's something, thankfully we don't have to worry about a lot here on the East coast, you know, folks on the West coast and in the Midwest deal with those, but, um, we do tend to see earthquakes from time to time here on the yeah. East coast. Yeah, so, we had a 5.8. Well, you're just, you're just pulling out everything out of the arsenal, huh? What, what about when a meteor hit? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I got my notes tonight. I've got my notes of, of topics I, I wanted to talk about. Uh, but, but Cheryl, I know we're about 8.55 here, so uh, closing in on 9 o'clock. So for those folks who are getting ready for storm season, whether it be hurricanes, tornadoes, um, severe thunderstorms, flash flooding, what do you recommend for folks to have in their disaster kit or, or their survival kit? Um, uh, we'll give you, a, I know this is your expertise, so hopefully folks who are watching this tonight afterwards can make that list and make sure they have everything covered. Yeah, absolutely. And I've got full list and information on my website too. It's CherylNelson.net. Um, but the basics, I think a lot of people know this, but I'll reiterate it and say you want at least a two-week supply of non-perishable foods, canned goods, granola bars, things like that. Also, at least a two-week supply, if possible, of water as well, bottled water. Um, NOAA weather radio is always key to have a generator if you can have that as well. How many people actually have a flash drive with important documents on it? Oh, there's my website. Um, so yeah, natural disaster preparedness on that. And I have life hacks and I also have testimonials. And if you actually click natural disaster preparedness info, um, if, yeah, if you click that one, then it'll go to that page. And I have all kinds of links if you scroll down. And anything you ever want to know is on that list there. So all kinds of resources for you to check out regarding that. But other things that you wanna have in your kit, have that flash drive with all important documents on it. So we're talking insurance documents, medical records. I recommend a medical ID bracelet for elderly or people with medical issues that has all the information right there on your wrist on that flash drive. Have an inventory of everything in your house. Take photos, that way you can prove what you have. Um, other things you can do, I mean, first aid kit, blanket, you want to have items for your pets and your kids, make sure you show that they have vaccinations because a lot of shelters will not accept your pet if you don't have proof that they've been vaccinated. Have a picture of you and your pet together, have them microchipped if possible. For the kids, have something to make them feel secure, like a game or a stuffed animal. I mean, I could go on and on with this list. Sturdy shoes is a good thing to have as well because you don't want to be running around in flip-flops if there's debris everywhere. But those are just some of the things that you might want to have. Um, but there's, I have a backpack full of stuff that I actually take into my safe room with me whenever there's a warning. And I have a kit in my car too, uh, just in case I ever get stranded on the roadways. Cheryl, it's funny you mentioned that. Um, I was ba back in um, February, um, I was able to go out to Oklahoma City for one of the uh, severe weather conferences, and they had the emergency manager for the for Disney World for the resort, and uh, he was talking about their preparations for Hurricane Irma. And the day of uh, Orlando, when it got the the worst part of Irma, uh, he talked about specifically having games and activities for the kids to kind of keep their focus on that, and then what's going on outside. Uh, a lot of us know that kids are scared uh, of storms and stuff like that, but if they had something in front of them, it kind of took their mind on what was took their mind off of what was going on on the outside. 
Absolutely. And also have an electronic supportable charger. If you don't have a generator, maybe some music. One thing too, you want to have cash, at least a hundred bucks and single dollar bills because ATMs probably not going to work. Medications, at least a two week supply and a paper map. How many of us have paper maps anymore? We all rely on GPS, right? Yep. <laughs> what if we're trying to get out and our GPS doesn't work and we're going, oh no. So stuff that we have to think about in modern society. You're right. I mean, you think of the cell phone networks when, when disasters hit. I mean, they're jammed up, so you would yep. really not have access to your phone or anything. So uh, those are all good points. And uh, guys, do you have anything to, uh, to add? I know I've been taking a lot of time. Sorry, Shay. Poor <laughs> <laughs> Shay. That was fun. I mean, you know, we're, um, you know we, don't, we don't know what the season's going to hold this year. And, um, you know, CSU came out with a slightly above average, and, and they'll, be, they'll be tuning it up. Uh, as time goes on, things will be tuning in, uh, being updated for the upcoming hurricane season. Uh, but, you know, it looks like we're sliding towards a, a Nino neutral phase where, yeah, you know, it, it could kind of go either way. Usually with uh, La Nino, we have more activity or El Nino, uh, a little bit less activity in the Atlantic Basin for that matter. But um, we could start to trend more towards El Nino as we go through the summer. But it looks like we're still in La Nina watch. We should kind of come off of that. I'll have to look at the ENSO update uh, to verify that. But, um, yeah, we'll just have to kind of take it in stride. We're watching the Gulf right now where the waters are warmer, and, and we'll just kind of take it uh, month to month through the season. And uh, for those who uh, don't remember, hurricane season starts June the 1st and ends November 31st. So um, that that is um, right around the corner. So we have to start watching for the big storms to hit the coast. But like Scotty said, we still have severe weather. Many other facets of um, disaster preparedness to to think about. So um, pay attention to Cheryl and visit her website. I, I highly recommend it. Thank you. Uh, Peter, James, Jerry, do you guys have anything before we kind of close up? I have one more question. It's kind of a little bit off topic, but I wanted to give this opportunity before uh, we transition to that. All right. You know, ahead, uh, I, do, I do think one thing. I, I think that we need to have t-shirts made that say on the back, Meteorologist, if you see me running, try to keep up. I think that might get people kind of tuned in a little bit more. Just, just something to, you know, I don't know, because, you know, Cheryl, you're exactly right. You know, so, I mean, as they've just found out in the Northeast, I mean, severe thunderstorm warnings are serious business. I mean, you know, we, uh, I, I know a few people who uh, had uh, cars demolished by trees yes, in downtown Charleston, right? Um, from severe thunderstorm warnings. And now they take them a little bit more seriously. Thank goodness they weren't in them. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think that, you know, there, there's a lot, there's a lot of wisdom there and uh, we can, uh, we can all probably strive to do a little bit better um, as a weather enterprise to say, you know, take this as seriously as possible. I agree. Maybe our friends at Holistic Design can make you that shirt, Jerry. They, they should. <laughs> um, Cheryl, one thing I want to do before we kind of uh, end our show tonight uh, and it kind of has to do with preparedness and kind of not, but uh, on uh, Twitter and Facebook this, this past weekend, weather Twitter, as we like to call it, uh, a conversation was generated about colors of watches and warnings. Hmm. And um, I wanted to ask you, because I know you do a lot of public appearances and speak with a lot of, of folks in the public. Do you think um, if station A does warnings and watches one color and station B is, is totally different color, do you believe that sends a mixed message to, to folks who may not be as weather savvy or may not be paying attention? 
do you think that we should all come together on the same colors or do you think it's okay for everybody to kind of do their own thing? We need continuity, 100%. Everybody should be on the same page with that. I mean, I've seen this too. And for example, one thing that always bugs me is snow. Some stations use white for snow. Some stations use blue for snow on the radar. And I'm going, clouds are white. You should be using blue. It it should be across the board. Everybody should use the same thing. And for tornado warnings, I mean, that needs to be red. Um, It it just, continuity is what's going to get everybody on the same page. If TV stations are doing their own thing, all it does is add to the confusion. I know what the particular post I was talking about um, was dealing with um, TV stations were doing blue for severe thunderstorms where other outlets were doing yellow. And they were kind of, and it was said that it was first from the SPC was first blue and then it kind of transitioned to yellow. Uh, But I'm with you. I I think flood products, green, tornado Mm -hmm. products, red, severe thunderstorm, you know, yellow, winter products, blue. But uh, I, I just, I think, it confuses the public when we see all these crazy colors in the, in the weather service process. It doesn't help because uh, if you've seen that periodic table of all these advisories and things that are, oh, yeah. it's uh, it's always confusing. But um, that, that was one question I want to ask you is what is your opinion? Because you probably more than a lot of us are with the public every day, talking with them about weather and preparedness. So mm-hmm. I did want to, to, to spring that question out. So uh, Cheryl, as we close out tonight, um, Give us your information, how folks can get in touch with you, maybe social media, your website once again, and uh, maybe some closing words that you want folks to prepare or to focus on as we get into storm season. Sure. Thank you so much. Yeah. So my social media, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter is Cheryl Nelson TV and Cheryl is spelled C-H-E-R-Y-L Nelson TV. My website, as I said, is CherylNelson.net. And that also has my email on it. Oh, there's my Twitter page. Nice. So, and of course, I was tweeting about Yanni or Laurel today, by the way, which uh, I, I heard Laurel, so I don't know. But regardless, there's my information. And I one storm to change your life. And Uh-oh. I think her internet froze. Did we, did we I'm glad her? it wasn't just me. I thought it was just me. <laughs> no, I think we lost her. I think the uh, wow. the internet has, has has dropped in Norfolk. Internet it's, dropping preparedness tips. That's it's Ricky. Uh... It's Ricky's fault as he's got called. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, uh, maybe show a pot back on, but uh, let's, you guys want to do tweet of the week before we end up? Because I just found the coolest tweet ever. Well, you go first, then. You want me to go first? Okay. Go ahead. All right, so here we go. Here's my tweet of the week. I just found this literally as the show started. Wow, doing your homework at the last minute. I know. So this is from Danielle <laughs> Grant, and this is a hell swath uh, that was seen on Monday in Wellington, north of Wellington, uh, in the Colorado area. Uh, but we see these. Uh, we've seen this wow. photo back in in early or uh, spring or late winter of the the snow differential. But this is a hell swath that was uh, in Colorado, so they uh, were able to catch this from an airplane, and I thought that was really interesting. So uh, that is my tweet of the week from Danielle Grant, the weather woman on Twitter, uh, showing us a hell swath in the middle of Colorado. So that is my tweet of the week. I've got Let's one. Go next. All right, I've, go ahead. I, I haven't tweeted it yet, but 
here's my social media picture of the week. So this is a picture from my aunt's house in Northeast. This is Lower Hudson Valley in New York. We're talking about all the storms that came on through. They were under a tornado warning yesterday in about the 4 o'clock hour or so. Uh, And we got the uh, storm survey from the National Weather Service out of Albany, New York, not too long ago. Uh, Turned out it wasn't officially a tornado, as so many people are probably calling it, but it was a Uh. macro burst. Uh, with estimated maximum winds of about 105 miles per hour. She has now been without power about 24 hours and counting, and this is a populated suburban area in uh, the greater New York metro area, but uh, just goes to show a little bit of the strength of those storms yesterday, and it even made the national news as uh, the transportation there in the New York City metro area came to a screeching halt, but I wanted to share at least this picture. This was the one road into and out of their neighborhood, so speaking of storm preparedness, they were raiding everything they had in the house for for dinner and luxuries, uh, but she has since told me that they've been able to get back out into town. Now, James, for the viewers, a macroburst is different from a microburst in that what is it more than 100 miles in in uh, distance? Yeah, Shay, that sounds about right. And I know with this particular storm that came on through, it was um, seen for several miles. I don't know the exact measurement. Maybe the bulletin actually will have it for us. But it stretched eight miles, path length eight miles. So, uh, And it was about three miles wide. And that's exactly what we started to see in the immediate aftermath of the storm yesterday. As storm reports were coming in, uh, you could see a kind of a line uh, stretching from the Hudson River in that area several miles inward. Uh, so it did affect a large part there of Dutchess County. Uh roughly in the Beacon Fishkill area, if you're familiar at all with uh, the geography. And, and James, I'll, I want to bring this up. And I'm not trying to be funny or anything, but folks reading this, they'll argue with you till the last days <laughs> that this was a tornado. And mm-hmm. I don't understand why folks are so adamant that it had to be a tornado, that it couldn't be a macroburst or a microburst or straight line winds. So, yeah, and uh, I, again, it's another human psychology thing, I guess. I think you're right. And I think some of it has to do with the fact that tornado sounds sexier. Uh, for lack of a better word. Um, I also think it's just more socially common. People know what that is. They don't know what a micro or a macro burst is. Uh, this is actually radar scope yesterday. Someone else tweeted this out. Um, but you can see uh, kind of the extent of those winds. I mean, these were hurricane force winds that were coming through with this line of storms. Uh, and it impacted more than just this one community. You know, we had storm reports. I had a, an aunt who lives in northeast Pennsylvania who was telling me that windows were blown out in several homes along their street. Now, it wasn't necessarily the same cell as a part of this line, but just the strength of this line that came on through yesterday kind of uh, being shown here in a lot of these storm reports and surveys that are now being conducted. Yeah, uh, I don't know if you guys saw it on Twitter. Um, there was Facebook or a Twitter video of uh, the storms moving through downtown Manhattan, and actually it was a, a swimming pool on top of one of the buildings that was actually oh, pouring yeah. water out of it. It was, it was amazing to see. So, yeah, definitely don't want to mess with those uh, those severe thunderstorms. Uh, Jared, I see you have your tweet up, so I'll let you go. Yep, I called dibs on this one this past weekend, so uh, I had to pull this one out. So this is uh, something you don't see very often, um, and it makes it makes me hope that we don't uh, give rise to a bunch of storm chaser arsonists. This is a uh, a wildfire. So this is a and Trevor Boucher, friend of the show, um, tweeted this out, and this is an overlay of the uh, Go 16 fire product with uh, the infrared product and you can see a uh, pyrocumulus turning into pyrocumulonimbus and this produced severe weather that's severe warned that was amazing (laughs) to see the photos out of that if if you're watching tonight and you want to go on weather twitter search this up some of the videos and, and photos coming out of that was amazing 
And so Jerry, what you're saying is that this pyrocumulonimbus actually uh, lifted moisture into it downwind up into the superheated column and created severe weather and thunderstorms downwind of the fires is what you're yep, saying. Right? That's correct. Yep. That is, and, and, that is, uh, and really, really unique to catch. Yeah, if you look at it, if, if, I don't have it up here, but I, I did see another tweet of the sounding from there and there was, was plenty of cape, but there was a good cap. Um, but as the uh, as the next uh, as the next tweet in the line there uh, shows, uh, coworker, I haven't even looked at a sounding out there. Well, something tells me the convective temperature has been reached, and then the office laughs. <laughs> if James has a laugh track, this is the time for that. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I mean it. That, I mean it's what happened. The fire broke the cap. That's, that's just funny. crazy. Oh, I don't sure have a laugh. I don't have a laugh track, but you want me to just laugh myself? <laughs> 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 oh, save us, Shay, Shay, save us. <laughs> uh, okay, so let's see. My tweet of the week for is um, Nick uh, Olivieri, and another friend of the show. Um, a pretty. Do I know? Another friend of the show. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so him and, and Michael Binsky and these guys—they do some amazing photography. Um, he's he does some just just amazing shots, and this was in Chicago. And 1,000 feet above the ground, <clears throat> saying that he rode through a shelf, oh through a shelf cloud that's overtaking a fog bank. If you look a little further down, here is uh, a better shot of it, which is just amazing in of itself. That um, you know he captured that. You can you can see where it's lifting the fog in the backdrop. There, it looks like scud clouding, but it's really just fog lifting as it's peeling across the layer. Uh, but that, that's it. <laughs> wow. <I> mean, <laughs> Oh there's a thousand words that's one of them so that that's my tweet of the week uh hats off to nick and uh and all the photographers out there really looking forward to seeing what they come up with this year during the severe weather season and, and michael binsky's next video and so on and so forth man just looking forward to it thank you for that shay let's go to our eye reporter in the field mr peter <laughs> peter you you got to see the storms firsthand yesterday <laughs> What is going on in this country this week? God, all these pictures, it's unbelievable. Uh, all right, yeah, so let's go to yesterday, a little recap of what went on in this neck of the woods. We did not get the tornadoes, or uh, we didn't really get severe weather either. There's no warnings issued around South Jersey, but we did get some really good pictures. And, of course, I was the idiot before the storm running out of my front yard uh, taking pictures of the sky. So here's one of them uh, right before the squall line came in. Uh, and there was no lightning, little disclaimer, there was not lightning yet, so I did not run outside in the middle of lightning. And uh, But later on in the storm, this is what I caught, uh, safely from my upstairs window. So, uh, yeah, we had some excitement here for the past couple of days, and uh, this is the kind of activity we, we got with uh, each storm. So I like to call this one the wishbone, because it kind of looks like a wishbone, but... Uh, <laughs> Peter, yeah. that lightning was so strong, it made your name in that picture. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it outlined in the sky. I couldn't believe it. Unbelievable. Even copyrighted, too. Oh, man. But, but that's, that's that. So we're all safe. We're all good. So that's it. Well, I'm glad you guys were able to get through that because it was a serious situation for a lot of folks up there. And hopefully it'll calm down a little bit. I think we have Cheryl back with us. I think. <laughs> I don't know what's happening. My internet just... 
decides to keep just yeah doing its own thing so i apologize well we know ricky's back in home which is where you live there in norfolk so we, we're blaming it on him he's taking all your bandwidth tonight so. <laughs> yeah i know apparently that's what's happening <laughs> well, well cheryl we, we didn't get to hear your closing points so we wanted to we'll give you uh want to give you an opportunity to do that because those are important for folks to listen to thank you and basically what i wanted to say was it just takes one storm to change your life. And it could be the life of you, the life of a family member, or the life of a friend. So if you don't care to prepare for yourself, prepare for them. Have that kit at home and in your vehicle. Have a plan. Know where you're going to go if you have to evacuate. And talk to your family. Make sure everybody is on the same page. Make sure you all know your risk. And as long as everybody communicates, has that plan, and has a kit, then ultimately there should be no reason why anything horrible happens to that family. I mean, I know there are, are the times where you get the EF5 tornado um, or the category five hurricane, but most of the time we can take action to protect ourselves. That's right, Cheryl, that's great information. It's the thing that you can get your kids involved doing it as well. I mean, it'd be just as fun for them to, to be able to help get the, uh, stuff ready for uh the the survival kits and the disaster kits you know have help letting them have a hand in uh getting prepared absolutely well cheryl we appreciate it thank you so much um for joining okay. us again thanks for being a friend of the show we appreciate having you oh on. i love it thank you you're very welcome uh and as we close out this show let's uh quickly go through what's coming up here on the carolina weather group next week we're going to be talking about lightning uh, the Lightning Physics with uh, Dr. Eric Brenning from Texas Tech University. Uh, May 30th is an open show. That might be just a show that we all just set around the weather table and oh, everything weather-wise. So, That's um, the opening of the tropics. Oh, by the way, yes, we are in the final La Nina advisory. So we oh, will be transitioning to El Nino neutral, which is favored through the summer, and um, possibly El Nino phase in winter maybe 2000 late 2018 early 2019 so so you heard it here go ahead and buy your bread and milk go ahead and get <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah the 30th that that may be a fun show where we all just get to sit around and talk about weather and we get to vent and gripe and complain and even do some praise work as well so that's the 30th uh june 6th we're gonna have uh, meteorologist alan seals on from mobile alabama the 13th we talk about earthquakes on the 20th of june uh, we're going to be having uh, Dr. Phil Klotz back on from Colorado State. He's going to kind of give us a hurricane season preview. And we end the month of June with the Sirens Project. Uh, we have a, a group of folks coming on from Atlanta, Georgia. They are actually flying drones into tornadoes and doing a lot of research. So excited to have uh, Warren and his uh, group there at the uh, Sirens Project on June the 27th uh, for some exciting information and video uh, that you probably haven't seen before. So uh, that's how we close out the month of June. And then for the rest of the summer, well, we'll talk about that later because it's not really planned out yet. So, uh, but that is uh, what it looks like for the next month here on the Carolina Weather Group. As always, if you have a specific topic or a guest that you would like for us to bring on the show, all you have to do is simply reach out to us via Twitter or Facebook, email. Let us know who you want on the show, what kind of topics you want to talk about, and we'll work um, as hard as we can to get those uh, topics and guests on the show so for everyone here at the carolina weather group we hope you have an amazing weekend stay uh, dry out there if you're in the southeast it's going to be a rainy weekend it seems like and uh, we will see you back here next wednesday